Please open your Bibles to James chapter 3. <clears throat> it's always difficult getting back into a series when you've taken a short break. We took a break over Easter, and so we resume. And unfortunately, I am resuming. For those of you who are new to this church or just visiting, um, I am resuming in the middle of a verse. And so if you want to know what went before, I give a little bit of an overview for your sake, but I also um, don't cover everything, so you're welcome to go back and listen to that. James chapter 3, and our reading is from verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater judgment or strictness, as the ESV says. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, that man is perfect, or he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, <clears throat> wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And is set on fire by hell. For every creature, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man or no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Speech ethics is very common in wisdom literature. It is no different in the book of James. The Bible is very concerned about how we use our tongues. Often we forget that. We overlook how we speak. We overlook how we say things. We overlook the importance of being gracious in and having words seasoned with grace. It matters to God how we speak. Or what we say. It matters to him. Therefore, it should matter to us. It may not matter as much as it did maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but as I was growing up, I remember that we had to have great respect for those who were older. We dare not say a foul word or you would get the backhand. Nowadays, um, that gets overlooked. I know that my mom used to threaten me with washing my mouth with soap. Now that didn't happen, but she put salt in my mouth one day. And I'll never forget that for uh, speaking out of turn. I see some smiles, so I presume that happened to you as well. I did not get the principle, he who keeps his tongue keeps himself from trouble. I had a very loose mouth. My brother knows this. I used to speak all the time. Could not keep quiet. And so I was always in trouble. And uh, yeah, that didn't work out too well for me. 
we grew up knowing that foul language was not proper. Today it is different. I did not grow up in front of the TV. Today kids grow up on social media and on the TV. The challenge with that is that when they say PG-13, they don't mean PG-13 anymore. And so language, the language they hear and the words that they are, are taught from social media and the TV are foul. Soon they start to repeat words and you can almost see parents running to put their hands in front of their kids' mouths because that is not what they have been taught. And yet... That is what they've been taught. <clears throat> when it comes to the Bible, God cares very much about language. He cares very much about our words. Reckless words are not what culture says a Freudian slip. There is no such thing. The Bible says that reckless words are like constant jabs. It also says that a lying tongue, and especially in the Old Testament, a lying tongue is indicative of the nature of that person. What resides on the lips is indicative of the heart. Listen to Proverbs twelve eighteen: Reckless words pierce like a sword. This is a combat sword. This is a sword that stabs until death occurs. You get the picture. In other words, words wound deep and lasts long. Bible teachers need to take stock of every word that they speak because God keeps account of every word spoken. When it comes to the book of James, the emphasis on the tongue is no different. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. This is religion is the act of worship. Religion that God or the act of worship that God receives is the idea. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Look at the second one. To keep oneself unstained from the world. That is the kind of worship God receives. But look at verse 26. If anyone thinks that his acts of worship, that he is religious, that, that his worship is worthy before God, but does not bridle his tongue, this person deceives his heart and his acts of worship, his religion, is worthless. The way you speak matters to God. You may do all that you want in an act of worship before God, but if you are not able to bridle, to have control over your tongue, what does God do with that? He discounts your acts of worship. Why? Because there's something wrong with the heart. There is an expectation for speech or the control of the tongue. Look at verse 19 of chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. They all relate to the, to the same thing. The tongue. 
This goes back to verse 18. Anyone who is born of God must have a changed heart. A changed heart is made manifest in how you respond and how you speak. You could see this in chapter 2. We won't go through that as well. But in chapter 2, how they speak to the poor man who comes into the, into the synagogue. Sit at my feet or go stand over there. James says this, this shouldn't be. That is not how the child of God ought to react. Why? Because the tongue is the best reflection of the heart. Show me your tongue and I will show you who you are. One could say that the measure of one's tongue is the measure of one's life. We know this in culture. We used to say, and I don't know if people still say it, but a man's word is his what? Bond. And if he fails in, in keeping his word, he has stained his what? Character. You don't trust him. And you discount him as a person, as a whole. Why? Because he faltered on words. We know this. It's not foreign to us. Young women, you should pay attention to that. If a man does not keep his word, if a man is not a man of his word, find a man that is. I, I am not in the business of breaking up relationships. But if you are breaking up for the right reason, praise the Lord. In our passage, James impresses upon the hearers the importance of having a controlled tongue. And the way that he does it is very unique. This is a very sustained negative argument. And so he highlights the negative to affirm the positive. This happens a lot in wisdom literature. And so it's going to be very negative moving forward for the next couple of verses. But I hope that the positive outcome of this is that you see the importance of having a controlled tongue. Last time we saw that the main command in this entire chapter is this. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers. Do not many become teachers. That is the command. It runs and it is consistently the dominant theme throughout this passage. So don't lose sight of that. Doesn't matter where you are in this chapter, always think how does this relate to that main command. The governing thought that runs throughout this chapter is that teachers need to be very careful. Everybody who desires to be a teacher or is in the position of a teacher, you need to perk your ears. Be very careful. James stresses why we need to be careful to become teachers. And we looked at this last time. Number one, because there is great judgment on teachers. And then secondly, because we all stumble a lot is the text. Now the illustration that James gives from verse 3 to verse 5 is a very powerful illustration that relates to two powerful objects. Ever seen a ship run aground or into a um, jetty or another sh a ship? It's very difficult to stop a ship. And so if you keep that picture in mind when you read that, 
what James is talking about is the momentous force of this uh, um, uh, ship and also a powerful horse. Notice what he says. If we put bits into the mouths of, think, powerful horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Now I want you to take note of two words. We guide, and then another two words at the end of verse 4. They are guided. Well, three, actually, but two in Greek. They are guided. What James is after here is that the horse doesn't guide itself. Nor is it the bit that guides the horse. I want to be clear. The bit is a way to control the horse. But who guides the horse? Who provides direction to the horse? The person sitting on the horse, right? The same with the ship. Look again. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So who is actually behind the direction of the ship? The rudder? No. The pilot, which we call a captain. He is the one who makes the decision, uh, uh, the decision of the direction of the sh- ship. And how does he show that he's made a decision? He moves the rudder. So the rudder and the bit are mere tools to manifest control over this big, huge, large, powerful object. In other words, the tongue is not an independent member of the body because he likens the tongue to those small objects. It doesn't flap without reason or without cause or without influence. The tongue is always influenced by something else. I remind you of this because understanding that, understanding what James has behind the use of that small object helps us understand what follows. So what James is saying is that the will of the pilot, the will of the horse rider is behind the powerful control of these objects. Now, the next few sermons will focus on the tongue specifically. We will see, number one, the destructive nature of the tongue. That is this week. I believe, based on my time, I won't be able to finish that, and so I'll have to come back to the destructive nature of the tongue next week. But the control, the uncontrollable nature of the tongue is the second sermon. The inconsistent nature of the tongue is the third sermon. And the reflective nature of the tongue is a fourth sermon. And we will get through that over the next few months. The overall tenor is not to provide a measure of hopelessness or helplessness or even despair in this negative outlook of the tongue. But James is providing a deeper look into a greater reality that we often miss when the tongue is being spoken on. About, So I'm going to take a magnifying glass and zoom in on one clause of verse 5. James is highlighting that the state of the heart as a motivation to reinforce his main command, that is, do not become teachers, the state of the heart is indicative of the state of the tongue. What this means is that this entire section from verse 5b, I'll show where that is, right through to the end, verse 12, all deals with the state of the heart as it is reflected on the tongue. Now that 
being said as a foundation, let's get into the introduction of the sermon. <laughs> so as we prepare to look at this verse, there are two main elements that James wants us to see. The tongue is both destructive and dangerous. It's destructive in nature and dangerous by nature. So that's the two points that I have to highlight. The tongue, number one, destroys. And number two, the tongue is dangerous. The main part of our focus will, um, will be on the last part of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The destructive nature of the tongue is visible in that like a fire, the tongue consumes and destroys everything in its path. Let that settle. James equates the tongue to a fire. It has the propensity to cause much harm, much damage, much pain. This is important since James, like his uterine brother Jesus, makes much of how the tongue impacts those to whom it communicates. Mark chapter 7, for instance, Jesus says this. Verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of that person, in other words, what is on his lips, are what defile him. Now I want you to keep that in mind because James, in the same sense, is saying the same thing. What comes out of the person defiles him. Now just think about that. Does your words actually defile you or does it say something about you? It is the latter. And what James and Jesus is saying is that the way that you speak demonstrates the defilement that is already what? Present in the heart. So again, keep that in mind as we move through the section. The tongue has a lot to say about the person. It shows what you're actually thinking. Jesus in Matthew 12 and 37 says that your tongue will either vindicate you, that is justify you, not in a salvific way, but in a justifiable way, will vindicate your profession or it will condemn you. It either justifies your position or it stands against you. You know that to be true. When you're caught in a lie, you by all means are trying to justify yourself, but the lie, when you're caught out, you have egg on your face. You know that expression, right? The tongue is the best reflection of your heart. When the Bible speaks about the tongue, it speaks about it in three ways. The actual organ, which is very rare. Language, like tongues, plural, speaks about different kinds of languages, or the inner person, the heart, or the mind of the person. It is that latter part that James has in mind when he speaks about 
the tongue. So let's give attention to the devastating nature of the tongue, seeing in that it consumes. Look at the last part of verse 5. I'm going to read the whole part, and then I'll come back to it as we zoom in on that last part of verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The first part of verse 5 relates to the previous um, section. And you can see the hangover, the small member, the small bit, and the small rudder. That's all in connection with one another. But the new section deals with fire. And you can see it in the the verse following, verse 6. It says, and the tongue is a fire. So now James is going to talk about the tongue as a fire. He's moved on from the small thing to a much more destructive thing. There are a few ways that you can identify that this last part actually belongs with the six. Number one, contextually, it belongs with the six because fire is repeated in verse six. Secondly, James uses a specific word that relates to a break in the conversation. It is the word behold. Now, you don't see it in English, but it does appear in the original language. And so right in the beginning of the end of verse 5, where you see how, just before that is the word, behold how great a forest. You see the same thing in um, the discussion in verse 4. Behold, that is, look at the ship. And then also you see it in the beginning of verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the mouths of horses. All three of them indicate that there are subsections underneath this great discussion relating to the tongue. So James has moved on contextually to a new section. The focus that is in mind in the last part of verse 5, which is actually the beginning of verse 6, is the fire. I want you to remember that. The fire is in view. Now, if you read the text, what do you hear first? How great a what? Forest is set ablaze. And so it seems like that is the subject. That is not the subject. And I know I'm going a bit into grammar and I don't like doing that in the pulpit. But we can unravel that a little bit more on Wednesday. The main subject of this last clause is a fire. So James actually begins with that word, fire. He wants us to think about that. It's not the first word in the sentence, behold is, but it's moved up in the sentence. I mentioned that so that you understand that the main focus that he wants us to zoom in on is the destructive nature of the fire, not so much on what is being destroyed, which is the forest. James conveys in the entirety of the section, that the will of the person is made manifest in the boasting of the tongue. You see that at the end of verse 5. So that, uh, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of what? Great things. Take note of that. The tongue boasts greatly. When we say hurtful things, when we show our anger in speech, when we are prideful, um, all of these reflect the state of our heart. Now James moves on 
and he grabs at that word great and he draws it into the next section with another word which is also translated great, unfortunately. But it's big or vast. Now there's a, a bit of a challenge in the beginning of verse, the last part of verse 5, the beginning of verse 6. James shifts uh, attention and I want you to listen to how the various translations um, translate this. ESV says how great a forest. The New King James verse says see how great a forest. The uh, NIV 84 which is a good translation says consider what a great forest. The NET says think how small a flame which is the most accurate at the moment. Then the authorized version says behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. That last two capture the sense of the text better than any of the other translations. Think how small a flame, or behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. It literally reads in Greek, behold, how great a forest Sorry, um, that's the ESV. In, in Greek, it, it literally reads, Behold, how great a fire kindles or set ablaze a great forest. And I will get to that in a moment's time. And you may have picked it up already. There is a significant challenge in this verse because the word that is translated small at the end of your verse is actually the same word which is in the beginning of uh, the end of verse 5, which is great. It's exactly the same word. Now, that may be confusing. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. See that little word small? is exactly the same as the word great. And there's a variety of opinions as to why this happens. And I tried to trace down every one of them. Number one is this, that um, the, the translators are trying to keep the consistency with the whole small, large interrelationship in the previous context. And so they choose to, to say small fire because it does um, carry on the same thought. Small fire, big forest. But that's not what James is saying, right? He's, he's not saying that the fire is small. He's saying a large fire. Secondly, what they are trying to do is to say that extra-biblical material... Um, have the word large, when it appears back to back, can be translated, one of them can be translated small. And so I trace down every Greek translation of extra-biblical that has those words, and it doesn't say that. And so I, I, I struggled with this because in English, it makes a lot of sense to say it this way, that a small fire kindles a large forest, right? As a fireman, fireman would know that. Yeah, sure, it makes absolute sense. A small spark can burn out an entire forest. But in the original, what James is saying, that a great fire burns down a great forest. That is a completely different idea. And so what do we do with that? The meaning, if it is small fire and great forest, it completes the previous idea. And that is okay. The smaller thing affects the larger thing. And, and I could go with that. But what is Im Im important there is the ignition of the fire, the small nature of the fire. Now, this word fire can be translated to mean to ignite, to start a flame, or just burn, to set a blaze. The present tense aspect of this verse, or of this word, gives the idea that it's continuing to burn and continues to consume. And so I don't think the ignition is in view. 
I do think the burning aspect is in view. So let me make my case. James says, Behold, how a great fire, take note, look, how vast a fire consumes, how a vast forest. What is he talking about? It didn't matter the size of the forest. The fire equaled the size of the forest. It didn't matter that they were big and small or just little baby trees starting to grow. I don't know what a baby tree is called. Probably just a tree, right? A sap. Is it a sap? Okay, a sapling. Yeah, I didn't do that, whatever that, la- that is. I didn't study that. It did, doesn't matter if it's a large tree that's been standing for 100 years or a little sapling. Sounds so very British. Didn't matter. Because the size of the fire equaled the size of the forest. When, um, when a fire burns down something, what do you look at? The extent of its damage, right? How far the fire extended. And you look at the, the burn marks here and the burn marks there. And you look and you say, wow, what a great fire. Not what a great forest. That is what is in view. Look at the extent of the damage that a fire causes. Look at the size of the destruction by means of this fire. Look at the extent of the devastation. You measure the the real magnitude of the destruction by the trail it leaves behind, not by the spark that ignited it. So James is not thinking or speaking as a fireman looking at the ignition of the flame, but he's looking at the outcome, the devastation that comes from the fire. The fire consumes, the fire destroys, and very interestingly in the Old Testament, fire always speaks of what? Judgment. Our God is a consuming fire. That is not something you want to invite on you. I've heard songs, bring the fire, Lord. Pour down your fire. You know what you're asking? Pour down your judgment. Consume our sin. Uh, No, 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 no. Don't sing that. Don't ask for that. James equals the tongue to a consuming, destroying flame. Something that burns up anything and everyone in its path because it does not care if the person is big or small. The tongue destroys. We lived in the U.S. for a short while. and There was a rogue fire. Um, It burned down a city called Paradise. And at the end of it, they said, Paradise lost. Not as a joke, but in reality, it burned down the entire city. Small spark, yes. But how did they measure the devastation? By looking at what it did. That is what James is after. Look at the devastation that an uncontrolled tongue, flaming tongue, leaves behind. Look backwards and look at how many lives you have ruined and damaged by your uncontrolled, flaming tongue. James says, a large-scale 
fire causes a large-scale destruction. Let me say it in words that we can understand. In your mouth, you have a flaming fury that burns down people. It is a good thing that God put it behind bars. That's why you have teeth in front of your tongue. To say it another way, it takes a large-scale fire to cause a large-scale destruction. Again, the tense of the verb says it just keeps on burning. It's an ongoing fury. Let that sink. It is a harsh, a harsh analogy of the tongue. Look at the next line, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. Just in case you missed my point, James says, let me state it out to you very clearly. The destruction you are seeing in the fury of a flame can be equal to the destruction that is caused by an uncontrolled tongue. That is absolutely clear. Now, if the alternative view is true, and I'm going to give you both just in case I'm wrong. If the alternative view is that it's a small ignition that burns down a big forest, what is it looking at? The size of the forest. It's looking at the destruction that is left behind. It's kind of the same thing. And I I don't mind saying that it's an ignition or that it's a small fire. I just don't think that that is the actual intent of the text. James is saying that you have a forest destroying fire in your mouth. So shut it. Be careful how you use your tongue. Who is this director to? Church in general, yes, right? Church generally speaking. But this is written in a context of a synagogue. You can see that in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. As they come together to worship, it is in a synagogue setting. And in this congregation of meeting, the, the, the gathering together of these Jews, men have the right to just come up and teach. And so he's warning these would-be teachers, be careful, men. Be careful to ascend to the position of a teacher because you have a flaming fire in your mouth. Be careful. The point that James is driving home is that your tongue can cause great damage. Can cause tremendous damage. What a picture. Many lives are destroyed by foolish words of teachers. Think Waco. Uh, Maybe I think we would say Waco, but I I think it's Waco in the States. Think closer to home. A pastor who tells people to eat dirt, drink bleach. And just this week I read that a pastor told his congregation to starve to death, fast to death, and over 100 people died. Destruction. Look behind you is what James says. Look at the lives you are ruining by not controlling that flaming fury in your mouth. 
This is a warning to anyone who ascends to the position of a teacher. Be careful. A fire is dangerous and so is the tongue. We wonder how people can follow a person who tells them to eat their own underwear. How do people still stay with a person like that? It's because of the position of a teacher. The teacher has tremendous power in his position. He's got tremendous authority over people's lives. He's got tremendous sway over people. And that amount of control in the wrong person's hand can wreak havoc. And that is what James is after. Before you, you have the lives of people. So be careful how you use your tongue. it, It shocks me how many times I hear manipulation taking place in the pulpit of God. And you may remember this, being in a church that manipulates you to give more. You know what? If you don't give, God will not bless you. If you don't give, God's judgment is on you. The reason you are sick is because you just don't believe in the Lord hard enough. That's all manipulatory language. That's a condemnation on speakers or teachers who say those things. Large forests, large amounts of people are burned down by uncontrolled teachers who have uncontrolled tongues. Now this forest that James is talking about could just be a brush fire because it is Palestine after all. I don't like using the word ancient Israel. But this research shows that around certain of the lakes there were great forests. So James could have possibly seen a great forest and a lot of commentaries say he had no idea of what a rainforest looked like. I don't think he's thinking of a rainforest. To them a multiplicity of trees gathering together is a forest. Because it's a barren land. Didn't matter though. The destruction left behind didn't matter what kind of trees were in it. What James is saying is when you wrongly use your tongue, you leave a trail of destruction behind you. Let that sink in. What does the tongue say about the person. There's some internal evidence in the book of James that he is actually discounting incorrect speech or incorrect use of the tongue. For instance, look at verse 10. He says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. He's condemning the wrong use of the mouth. And that follows the uncontrolled nature of the tongue. When the tongue is left Uncontrolled, it causes tremendous amount of damage. And James says, no, brothers, this should not be so. Why? Why is James after a changed tongue? Why is James after proper speech? Because the divine reality of new birth must be visible in the human responsibility of a new walk, a new talk, and a new life. That is true in all of the New Testament. 
I should say that is true in all of the Bible when it speaks about the gospel. You do not stay the same. Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. How many times do we hear people speaking evil of saints? Brothers and sisters, unleashing fire and fury upon one another. Ungodly speech, hateful words, hurtful words, angry words. James says this must not be the normative practice. The standard practice of God's people. Why? Because our tongues reflect our hearts. So when James says that our tongues, our tongue is a heart, the tongue is a heart, when he speaks about the fury and the flame of the, of the tongue, he's talking about what the tongue actually is representing. Ungodly, angry, hurtful words shows what is in the heart. When I began, I said that the tongue is representative of three things the organ, languages, or the human heart. So when James uses the word tongue, hear tongue, but think heart. And so when your tongue lashes out, what is he saying? Your heart is lashing out. When your tongue is burning down people, what is he saying? Your heart is burning down people. The tongue is a true revealer of the heart. James opposes speech that will damage others. Turn over to Proverbs and see how, see how wisdom literature echoes what James, is, I should say, James echoes what wisdom literature says. Chapter 16, and look at verse 27. A worthless man plots evil. Where is the plotting of evil taking place? In his heart. That's a testimony of scripture. It says that all the time. And his speech is like a, what? Scorching fire. What is the equal speech to? Fire. Where does the fire come from? The same region where the plotting of evil comes from. The evil man has a scorching tongue. The evil heart has a consuming tongue. I believe that is what James is after. That a tongue that, is, that causes large-scale destruction as referenced here at the end of verse 5, is the tongue of an unbeliever. That is not supposed to be true of God's people. Proverbs describes the same reality. A man's speech can be like a searing hot burning fire. In other words, it causes lasting hurtful damage. I told you that this is a very negative section. If you've e ever accidentally stepped on a burning coal or been burned by coals, you know what I mean. I I've done that a few times. 
stepped on colds, causes blisters, and the pain lasts long. That's the idea. A burning tongue causes lasting, long, hurtful pain. You will note as you go through the Old Testament with that in mind that the tongue of the uncontrolled, the unbeliever, is not indicative of those who are God's people. That's not how we ought to speak. That's not true of God's people. Why does James have this metaphor in the text? Because of the greater context. What is the greater context? Verse 1. Do not many of you become teachers. James wants would-be teachers to realize the weight of the responsibility of teaching. Teachers can hurt people badly. Teachers have a powerful platform. And teachers possess an influential position. People make life and death Decisions based on what is said in a specific church. What scares me is people who are unchallenged in the pulpit of God. When they don't want to be confronted on things that they say, I welcome it. I'm I'm not the standard. But I do, I, I want people to challenge because I don't ever want to be wrong. Because I'm accountable before God first and foremost in what I say before you. We've seen nations driven to hating other groups of people. Why? Because leaders mislead people by use of their tongue. It is no different in the church of Christ. There are some people who struggle with control. They should never have the position of teaching. There are those who are bullies. They should never have the position of teaching. There are those who love to control others, to be over others. They should never be in the position of teaching. There are those who who manipulate people. They should never be in the position of teaching because power corrupts. Look at the end of verse 5, the first part of verse 5. So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts greatly. The heart is demonstrated in how people speak about themselves. A prideful person must be kept from the pulpit of God. If you struggle with pride, sit down and learn from God's word rather than pushing yourself to the front to teach God's word. The tongue is dangerous. I I am always concerned when we use language that can manipulate people. And I have to carefully think about how I say things as well. For instance, we have great desire to have everyone serve. But when my words come out in a way that manipulates you to want to serve more, then you're not doing it because of love of God. You're doing it because you were manipulated to do it. That's on me. And that kind of serving doesn't last. 
an unconstrained, unchallenged, ungodly world of unrighteousness is in the tongue. Look at the next line. A tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now we will unpack that from next week onwards. But what James is saying is that there is a world of iniquity wrapped up in the tongue. So be careful. Be careful. As a teacher, don't easily rise to the position of a teacher. Men who are very anemic in theology, who have a pathetic diet of the word of God, these are dangerous teachers because they are not speaking from the word, through the word, but they are speaking from self, preconceived ideas about the truth and are trying to manipulate you. Paul warns of that. Be on your guard. James writes to the saints to be careful as they teach the word of God because incorrect teaching can cause devastating results in people's lives. So this is a message to me first and foremost. It's a message to anybody that is part and parcel of our teaching ministry and it is vast yet living hope. Watch your tongue. This is a training church and we value teaching both by men and women. Now, obviously women don't teach in the pulpit, but they do teach in other capacities. If you love power, if you love the limelight, step away. Step away. God will hold you accountable for every word that you say. And the lives that we ruin as teachers are on our heads. I couldn't help but think of how many lives are damaged by false teachers. I Apparently, social media are rife with teachers who say weird and wonderful things. It is not our task to take them down. It's, that's not our job. You can pray that the Lord would shut them down and shut their mouths, but it's not our task to shut down teachers. It is our task as pastors to protect you from such teachers. We can teach on it. I'm not going to go around to various ministries shutting them down. That's not the task of any Bible teacher. The ministry of the Word should be about the Word and clearly the Word and the Word only. We put up with mediocre teaching. We put up with weak and unfulfilling teaching. Why? Because we fear to offend. This is not Denver's pulpit. This is not Peter's pulpit. This is not Don's pulpit. I call it the pulpit of God because I have a very high revere for God's word in this pulpit. So then anything said from this pulpit must align with the word of God. Challenge us if we don't. Come after us if we are lying to you, misleading you. Get rid of us if we are showing you or directing you in the wrong direction. Why? Because that would be our hearts. You're either speaking for God or for yourself. There is no in between. Saints, do not put up with false teaching. Do not put up with pride men in the pulpit of God. God will judge every tongue that causes harm to his 
people. That's the warning. Don't be careful. Don't be so easily drawn to become a teacher. Let's pray. Father, what a stern and cautious warning that James raises to us. And we would do well to listen. Every one of us. The tongue is dangerous. It is a flaming fury fueled by the very wrath of hell. Help us to understand how careful we need to be. How much more sensitive we need to be with the flock of God. It is your people, Lord. And for those of us who are teachers, help us to consider the way that we use our tongue because if we have changed hearts, then we will have changed tongues. Forgive us. Forgive us as a church that overlook falsity, that overlook weakness in the pulpit, that overlook pride. Help us to be men and women who love your truth and be willing to point out the error of the heart. Help us to love you more than we love ourselves. And as a net result, help us to love others as we love you. Father, we pray that you would use these words and convict those who do not have changed hearts. May they measure their lives by their tongues and it will show that they are not yours. They do not belong to a righteous God and therefore they cannot speak things that honor you. But for those of us who have been changed, help us to measure our tongues. Help us to consider our words before we speak. Father, we are yours. We pray that you would change us for your glory as we seek to live for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.